All right, everyone. The streak was broken, but all things are meant to come to an end and start all over again. So here we are with a brand new streak, getting ready to rock and roll. It is Tavern Voices. I am your host, Kevin King. And with me, as always, is my co-host and partner in crime from the beautiful coastal town of Wilmington, Tyler (laughs) Crawley. How's it going, my friend? It's good. It's good. Yeah, I know we broke the streak. Um, but as you said, it's just means it's time to start a new one. So, you know, I'll, I'll you know, it, if, if we do it too often, it, it, people get used to it. And then, you know, that's that's no fun. It's it's fun to be like a surprise in everyone's podcast feed every once in a while. No, it is. And and I'm really glad that you just brought up everyone's podcast feed because this is something that I um, I keep meaning to mention because as we've been plugging along, getting the show going, um, we've also now uh, become a part of pretty much anyone's favorite podcasting app. We are available on iTunes, the Google Play Store, Stitcher, um, TuneIn Radio, which works with your Amazon Echo so you can just listen to to us when your, uh, you know, smart home has nothing better to do. You can just play it in every room. Um, so I, I encourage everyone to go, uh, you know, click the little uh, like button, the subscribe button. Yes, help us I, out. I would second that opinion for the first time today. <laughs> for the first time, uh, we needed a second on that one um, because, after all, what better thing to do than be completely surprised when the new episode comes on, and you don't want to wait to see it posted on Facebook or something, just let it come right to your device. No, I agree. Uh, it's the best thing. That's what I do for all the podcasts that I listen to. And so I highly recommend subscribing. It benefits us. It benefits you. It's a win-win. Best thing to do. No, it is. And and it would be nice to have subscribers other than just me and maybe my mom. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't, I don't subscribe to this podcast. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, well, you know, we I wasn't going to air any dirty laundry, but no, actually, I, I can't even I can't tell who subscribes and who doesn't. But if you haven't subscribed, you should. And we've made it as convenient as possible. And, um, you know, we're we're probably going to be on Spotify here pretty, pretty soon as well. So if that doesn't cover where you listen to your favorite information, then, you know, you're probably in some dark corner of the Internet that we don't want to be in. That's the dark web that we hear so much about. It's part of the deep state. But, you know, you know, Tyler, as much as I want to talk about the deep state and conspiracies, we're going to get to a conspiracy later. So everyone needs to just hold on a second for that, because I think what we should lead with is a story from your neck of the woods down in the southeastern North Carolina corner of our great state. And, um, you know. Tell us about Gary Shipman uh, running against Representative Holly Grange, um, you know, down in uh, New Hanover County. Yeah. So this is actually was about two, three weeks ago. I guess the story broke. And oddly enough, it got almost no attention in southeastern North Carolina. Like, I think WWAY might have picked it up. Uh, and then maybe after like a while, the paper, the Star News picked it up. But it was just it was very kind of under the radar, which I thought was kind of interesting because this is to me kind of a big race because representative Holly Grange, um, you know, has a pretty darn good record. She was one of the freshman leaders. This is her first term. Um, and like I said, she is one of the freshman leaders. So, I mean, she's, she's already in a leadership position. Uh, she's definitely being sort of, uh, groomed probably for more leadership roles. And the seat that she's in is crazy Republican. Um, it was one of those seats that when they did, uh, I, I can't remember when it was a couple, probably 
four or five years ago, they um, redrew some districts. And because of the population growth here in southeastern North Carolina, this other district popped up. And Rick Catlin was the first one to take that seat. And and then when he left, Holly Grange took it. And it's I mean overwhelmingly Republican. I mean, just overwhelmingly Republican. And so it's pretty safe. Uh, however, you know, we do have midterms coming up. People are wondering what is safe and what isn't safe. And it was kind of a surprise that Gary Shipman almost at the last minute announced that he was running. He's a prominent attorney here in town. Uh, at one point ran the Democratic Party. And so I was kind of surprised that he would run because it's more than likely he's going to lose the seat. But he ran for it anyway. And I mean, there's no doubt that, you know, regardless of how red the seat is, he's someone that can raise some money. He has some name recognition. He's got some money of his own. And so he's a formidable opponent. And so I thought this was going to be one of the big races down here in southeastern North Carolina. And then two to three weeks ago, he was at a rally because he doesn't have a primary. He's running against two other people. And it does seem pretty much like he has it on lock. And he was at this event, and I guess someone had asked a question about how he's going to bring diversity to the Democratic Party. And Gary Shipman, for those that don't know, is a white guy. And he got up there and basically said that, you know, through the course of his activism, being a Democrat and going out there and talking to people, that he's been welcome into many communities. And then the the famous clip came where he said that he doesn't have to, uh, you know, be asked into the African-American community because he is a member of the African-American community. And that clip got picked up by the News and Observer and was on their front page for probably about a day. And so that's why I was surprised that no one picked it up here locally. But I think I still think he's going to win the primary. But I think it's going to significantly hurt him in the general because it's just an awful clip. I mean, I and I kind of jokingly said I, I know what he was saying. He was trying to argue, you know, that he's been welcomed in the African-American community. But the way he says I'm a member of the African-American community and he's like the whitest guy I mean, the clip of him saying it. I mean, he's I mean, he's he's so pale. He's almost transparent at, at one point during the clip. So it just makes it even worse. And it was it got it, it got national attention. I think the New York Post picked it up. Uh, I think it might even got some some attention across the pond. I think the Daily Mail might have even picked it up. But it got a lot of attention. And I still think he's going to win the primary. But I think any hope of an upset victory in the fall seems unlikely with this clip. I mean, it's just it's so comical. The ads write themselves. Yeah. I mean, when I saw it, I said, this, this can't be serious. And so I clicked on the article and it was, it was, it was accurate. Um, I thought it was interesting that, that the more activist uh, progressive candidate, I guess you would say in in the race also had not the greatest answer. Um, But what, what does this tell you, Tyler? Because I want to get into a little bit of his written response afterwards, which I think makes it way worse. But I want to hold on to that for a second because I want to dive a little bit into what you think this says about how the Democrat Party has pandered to the African-American community. Because this is, a, you know, a lot of prominent African-American conservatives have said this for a long time, uh, whether it be Angela McGlowan or uh, Shelby Steele or, or whoever. Um, you know, who, who talk about how they're taken for granted, you know, as a voting block. And I, this is identity politics to the best where I'm just, I am going to get from my elite perch and talk about how I just connect with the, you know, a particular segment of the voting base. So, I mean, do you, do you think there's more to this as far as how, you know, a lot of this plays out in politics on the left, or is this just one idiot out there saying stupid stuff? 
Well, I think the reason he said it is because this is the problem, and this is actually a problem with politics and in general, but especially when it comes to like elections and candidates, and especially the Democratic Party, is that they're the the Democratic Party is so identity based is that being like a straight white guy, and especially what was funny was that the News and Observer in talking about Gary Shipman said, so I can't remember, what it, I can't remember in the article, but it was like, oh, Gary Shipman lives in a $600,000 house. And I thought that was so funny that they brought that up because it was sort of like, oh, well, he's a rich white guy, so he doesn't know what it's like to be black. If he was poor and white, he might know more, which I thought was a little offensive. You know, if I was a black person, I'd be able to like, what do you mean? What, you, you're assuming that all black, you can only know what the black community is like if you're poor. Like, there's aren't, there aren't any rich black people around. So I thought that was kind of weird. But yeah, if you're a rich white straight guy you have a really hard especially in the democratic party and i think that's the problem that gary shipman's facing so you get asked a diversity question instead of arguing which i think a lot of republicans would or they used to who knows nowadays um you would say listen i'm not going to represent white people or black people i'm going to represent the district and that's what my job is going to be but you can't say that as a democrat so he so he had to come up with something and he's like oh oh well i am a member of the black community and so that was sort of his response because he can't just say, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk to all members of the community and, you know, and, and, and I'm going to represent everybody. But you can't say that. You have to say I'm going to represent this group and that group. I mean, he actually got in trouble or he didn't. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm getting my stories mixed up. But recently, Andrew Cuomo got in trouble because he went on this like stupid rant where he's like, I'm a Muslim. I'm gay. I'm black i'm a girl i'm you know whatever all these things but he didn't say transgender he got in trouble and everyone's like oh i guess he doesn't care about the transgender people so you can't win you just can't win by doing this and uh but that's why gary shipman did it instead of just saying listen i'm i'm gonna you know diversity is great but our district is diverse and so by representing the district properly i will be doing my job of representing the district and everybody in it that's how uh, you know, diversity is going to be a part of my platform, but instead he pandered and instead he tried to like pick out a, a specific group and it backfired on him. But that's kind of the problems that you have being a straight white guy, uh, affluent white guy in the democratic party. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta explain how you're going to be able to, to relate to all of these voters instead of just saying, Hey, I'm going to represent the district. Yeah. I mean, you nailed it. And I think it was, I also very much caught on to the fact that they mentioned how much his home is worth yeah. uh, in the news article, which was completely irrelevant to anything other than pointing out that he's an elitist. And I think that, you know, I think this goes to something that I've seen, especially in North Carolina, but I think, you know, across the nation where you have this disconnect between uh, one segment of the party that is, is very progressive and has these ideals of, uh, you know, sort of that that socialistic idea of, of, of taking out the establishment, the power. They talk about, you know, white privilege and the oppression of people. And then you have the other segment of the same party, which is pretty much the embodiment of that. I mean, you know, how, how much empowering of people has Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders done, right? They live in their, their mansions and, and live off of their political privilege. I don't know if it's white privilege or not. And, and, and so in this exact instance, you have someone who is pointing out that dichotomy within the party of, of here I am as a very, you know, wealthy, successful person trying to then, you know, pander to groups that, 
you know, may or may not be in his circle of support or influence. And so I think that's something that I don't know how they're going to reconcile that because so much of the party now really admonishes success. I mean, you've seen that since the um, the what, what was the Wall Street thing? The the ninety nine percenters Occupy, Wall, uh, Occupy yeah. Wall Street. Yeah, that 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 thing that happened for a couple okay. of days, um, you know, ever since that, you have this this tear down of of the man and anyone who has has any form of success, whereas on the right, you know, they're always they always try to back away from success in the general election because that's what it always comes to is you have the evil rich Republican versus everyone else. But I don't know how you reconcile that in the primary. I don't know what well, you do. I would even argue that the Republicans are starting to um, even distance themselves from success, um, which is, I, I just think, the most insane thing ever. But you're seeing it. Uh, I mean, you see it all the time. Uh, the, the big story came out today about, you know, Sean Hannity owning like 870 houses or some crazy number like that. And, you know, this is a guy who routinely attacks people for being like elitists and, you know, attacks people for, you know, being like in the New York and DC bubble. And like, this is a guy who makes $50 million a year, takes a town call to town car to work every day, uh, you know, flies private, does all these things. And yet he never talks about those things because it will make him look like he can't relate to the average person, which, and you know, it's a little different. He's a talk show host, but you know, this idea that you have to be able to relate to someone to understand them, I mean, that's the whole argument on the deep state and everything else. It's like, oh, these, you know, rich Republicans and rich Democrats, and they're all coming together in Wall Street. I mean, you know, Trump went after Wall Street. Trump went after all these, you know, some successful people and argue they're taking advantage. I read a thing today by Marco Rubio in the National Review where he was talking about how globalism is like siphoning off. I mean, the guy sounded like Ross Perot. And I was like, Mar- Marco Rubio, what are you doing? Like, when did this happen? And so, yeah, this has been a problem with the Democratic Party for a while, but it's infecting the Republican Party. Uh, this class warfare that's just insane. Uh, but to get back to the point of why they mentioned Gary Shipman's house, there's a great skit on college humor. And for you know, they haven't had a good skit in like 10 years, but they had one like maybe two years ago. And it was, it was, it was like a bunch of people like, you know, office workers and it's all these like millennials and there's all these, it's, it's like four white people and one black person and everyone in the group, keeps like referring to the black person as if he's like poor and they're like, like, the, like they order pizza and the pizza comes and they're like, Oh, we got it. We'll split it four ways. And the black guy's like, you mean five? And he's like, Oh no, you don't have to get it. It's all right, Sam. It's all right. We got it. And he's like, what? And then they keep saying things like, Oh, well, you know, Sam would know that like sort of inferring or insinuating, I should say that he's, he's poor. And he's like, guys, I work in the same office as you. We all make the same amount of money. And he was pointing out the stereotype that exists in media where, you know, we, we look at and we argue that, you know, black people are poor and we say like, oh, welfare and oh, oh, they're going to cut welfare spending. How's that going to affect the black vote? It's like more white people are on welfare than black people. And it's just this weird stereotype. And I thought it was kind of surprising that the News and Observer uh, unintentionally sort of continued that belief that like, oh, Gary Schumann doesn't know what it's like to be black because he's, he's rich. Or how about because he's white? Like maybe that's the bigger disqualifier than a $600,000 house. And to me, it was just kind of funny that this liberal mainstream outlet uh, you know, fell for this stereotype that exists all the time that they shouldn't fall for because they're woke. You know, they're, they're, they're aware. And the fact that they you know, fell for the same stereotype that 
you know, idiot uh, Trump voters fall for uh, was 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 kind of surprising to me. Yeah, no, I do. And when you were talking about that skit, which I've, I've seen, it made me also think of um, the Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live sketch, which happened back right after the election in November of, um, good yeah. gosh, 2016. How was that a year and a half <laughs> ago? ago? I thought it was like three <laughs> months ago. Anyway, so... <laughs> Sheesh. So anyway, it was it was right after Trump won and it had uh, Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle in it. And um, and then the rest of the cast was uh, was white Saturday Night Live members. And they were talking about how they just knew that uh, Hillary was going to win. And they were talking about, you know, the the, the white population turnout, all, all these different diversity things. And and Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock are like, I, I, I don't agree with you. And um, it obviously I have no comedic value, but you, you should go watch it because it's a very similar concept of, of how there is a a a strange narrative that I feel like no one brings up. And I have no idea why this kind of conversation isn't held more often. I don't know if people are afraid if they talk about race, then they'll say something wrong and then they're racist forever. I mean, because I mean, that does happen. Some people have talked about many, you know, talk radio hosts or TV show hosts and stuff have, have lost their careers over, over talking about things that are sensitive subjects. So I don't know if that makes people inherently, you know, concerned to even address it. Well, it's hard to talk about race. I mean, there's no doubt about that, especially if you're talking about another race. So, you know, if you're white and you're talking about black people, um, I mean, that's like walking around landmines because all you have to do is just say one bad thing and it's like you're done, um, especially if you're in like a very prominent media position or really any prominent position. Um, yeah, I mean, you can get into a lot of trouble and some people get passes. And um, But yeah, I mean, if you're a straight white guy, you got to be really careful with what you're talking about when it comes to race because you can easily go down the wrong path and say just one thing wrong and it's 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 game over. Um, but yeah, I mean, what's so fascinating to me about the story is that, like I said, it goes back to what we were talking about, which is Gary Shipman had felt the need to sort of justify instead of like I said, just saying, hey, I'm going to represent the whole district. It's like, oh, oh, I'm a part of the black community. I'm a part of the gay community. I'm a part because the other part of the clip it was him talking about uh, Bo Dean here in Wilmington and arguing that when he first moved down here, like a lot of doors weren't open to him, and then you know I let him through my door, and then other doors opened up, and so I'm surprised he didn't say, you know, I'm a member of the gay community as well. I mean, he was just kind of you know trying to make himself seem diverse. When you should have just said, hey, listen, my job as a representative is to represent the district and the diversity of the district is included in that. Uh, but no, he felt the need to, to try and act like he's a member of all these groups and it came off as pandering and it came off as hysterical. And I think it's going to cost him in the fall. I think it was a long shot already, uh, but I think it's definitely now done <laughs> moving forward for him. I absolutely think so. And I, I do want to, to just quote a little bit of his written response once he was once Shipman was called out on what he said, because I, I think this is just, you know, I, I don't think this was the best, maybe maybe the second best PR response since uh, Starbucks last week. Um, but he says, I've eaten at many a fish fry held by my brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles. And all these are in quotation marks, uh, the the the. Uh, pronouns he's using um, in that community. I've celebrated birthdays, births, marriages, marriages, graduations, Christmas, Thanksgiving, July 4th, etc. with many members of the African-American community. And so he's trying to seem, you know, like 
play it off and and show how much of a part of the community he is. Um, but then he goes on to say, like other members of my family, many, many members of the African-American community have called me in the middle of the night when someone was sick or to come help them or some other member of their family. And I've responded because they are my family. Three years ago, when an African-American kid who I had known since he was born had his last parent die, I took him into my house for the final year of high school, helped him get ready for college. And just like I would one of my own, pushed him out into the world. He says, I don't see color. I see people. And not because I'm running for NC House either. I've talked the talk and walked the walk. So what did you think about that, <laughs> that portion? I was the same thing. I mean, he's making the same argument. And I mean, the point is, is that the fact that I mean, he's calling it the African-American community. But I mean, the black community is the black community because it's a community of black people. <laughs> like, that's the name. Now, if he wants to say, like, I'm a member of, you know, so-and-so church or so-and-so rotary group, okay, fine. But by definition, you cannot be a member of the black community unless you're black. Hey, um, Bill Clinton was. Yeah, he thought so um, until Hillary ran. Um, but you can't. I mean, I mean, otherwise it's not the black community. I mean, and if you don't want it to be known as that, then don't call it the black community. But if you're going to call it the black community, then as a community of black people. Um, and so, you know, he can be involved in it, but he will never be a member of it because you have to be black to be a part of the black community. By very definition, otherwise it's not the black community. Yeah, and well, and I saw something more deep in this, and maybe I was reading too much into it, but you talk about how well off he is. He's very successful. He's got this expensive house, according to the article. And he says, when, when people in the African-American community needed me, I helped them. I don't see that as, I mean, I, I, I see that as being derogatory. I mean, maybe, maybe that wasn't the intent, which I, I pretty certain that's not the intent, but by saying, if they need me, I come in from my nice neighborhood and help them. Then I, I think that's even worse. That's how I saw it. Yeah, no, I think that's true. I mean, I, I think there is sort of this idea like, Oh, if they need my help, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be there. Well, if you're in the community, they should have, to, I mean, you should already know that they need help. So you don't, you shouldn't have to wait to ask, you know, you should be offering it because you're, you know, you're part of the community. So you know, if a family's having trouble, but he makes it very clear that he is unaware of what's happening until he is asked and then he enters the community. So it kind of shows that he's not a part of the community because he doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree. And and the fact this hasn't gotten covered is, is interesting enough, but you know, like you said, it's a pretty solid R district. So I think it'll be interesting to, to see what happens, even though um, I think we've got a, a, an interesting election year down the, uh, coming down the pipe. I don't know how you feel about it, but yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. I, I think this race was going to be closer, but I think this is going to, um, I think this is, is it was already a long shot and I think this is just going to make it even more difficult for him to run, uh, in a very, very strongly majority Republican district, you know, him pandering, uh, and playing, you know, trying to, you know, play the race card or whatever it is he's doing. is just not going to work very well with Republican voters that don't like identity politics and he's like, you know, taking it up to like 11 on the identity politics uh, amp. And so it's just it's not, not going to work very well for him. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, talking about communities that people are a member of, I know you really want to talk about the conspiracy theory community <laughs> and the, uh, the the Charlotte uh, Councilwoman Lawana Mayfield. Um, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that or if you want me to to kick it off with a little information here. Yeah, no, no. Uh, yeah. 
Well, everyone knows I absolutely despise, you know, Alex Jones and I hate conspiracy theories, especially ones that like hurt people, uh, people, you know, like the Sandy Hook conspiracy. Like, you know, I like a good conspiracy theory, like a fun conspiracy theory that doesn't hurt anyone. Like, you know, are there aliens that we know about like Area 51? Like no one gets hurt by Area 51 conspiracies in Roswell, but people get hurt. By the Sandy Hook, just get Alex Jones, just get Alex Jones, just getting sued. He's getting sued. I, I, I don't know if I want him to win or not. That's a First Amendment issue that we can get into another time. Um, but I'm glad that someone is finally pushing back against his ridiculousness. So, you know, and like I said, the Sandy Hook ones are the worst. You know, there's parents that lose their kids and then someone's telling you that you're a fake actor or you're a fake, you know, parent and that you're really a crisis actor and your kid's not really dead. And I mean, just awful. Uh, and the same thing about 11. I mean – 3,000 Americans died that day, almost 3,000 Americans, uh, millions of lives affected. And now you have – and here we are, what, 17 years later, almost 17 years later, and you still have people out there who think that 9-11 was an inside job. And one of them is an elected office in Charlotte. She posted a thing on her Facebook saying, finally, the proof that 9-11 was a controlled demolition. Which, by the way, is the funniest thing ever because, I, you know, I, I didn't even read the stupid article because I know that there was a report that came out last year that showed that we finally now have evidence that proves that Building 7 that everyone said was a controlled demolition. You know, why did it fall? They explain why it fell. There was a sprinkler issue. There was an emergency water issue. Uh, therefore, the building, you know, was able to burn, you know, pretty much unchecked. And then they were arguing that the structural issues of large buildings might not be as safe as we once thought. So they pretty much laid out the thing. And so I don't know if that's someone found some crazy way to interpret that and say, look, it was controlled demolition. But, Tyler, Tyler, yeah. that's what they want you to think. <laughs> no, that's true. You're right. They, that's, have, that's the first thing they would do would be to create a fake report. You've had to correct. I, listen, listen, if you want me to be the Alex Jones to your Rachel Maddow, we can do that. <laughs> um, because, you know, I saw the picture you shared uh, from Barbara Bush's memorial service and you're clearly a globalist and yes. stop pushing the um the deep state agenda but i just had to throw that out there and continue <laughs> no that's true you're right I, I like to see uh, uh both sides getting along in a in a personal way which of course makes me a globalist cuck so uh that's who believes in free trade and you know like typical conservative things but no that's bad hey. that's bad now so i i no i agree i agree but so th- this your words not mine <laughs> So this woman is an elected official in probably one of the biggest cities, I mean, one of the biggest cities in the country, and she believes that 9-11 was an inside job, which to me is just insane because, like I said, there's so much information out there. And like I said, you can go online, you can find the dumb videos that someone, you know, cherry picks information and they put the videos in a way. And I'm not saying there weren't sketchy things that happened with 9-11. I think our government did use it as an opportunity uh, to pass things that they wanted to pass, knowing that they had absolute approval to do so. If you want to say they took advantage of it, that's fine, which she does seem to sort of be arguing. But she, she made this weird argument where she said – well, you know, there are white people that commit horrible crimes and they're not called terrorists. And so she, what she was alluding to was the left who gets angry, like this Waffle House shooter kid who, um, you know, kill all these people and no one's going to call him a terrorist. Uh, and then some guy, you know, runs people over with a van. He's automatically a terrorist if he's, you know, a Muslim. And I said, OK, that's a valid argument, I think, in some in, in some ways. But 
they're not mutually exclusive. You can believe that 9-11 happened <laughs> and Muslims caused it and still believe that our media has a bias in the way it covers white and um, sort of uh, Middle Eastern crimes. That's fine. But she acts like that. Oh, well, because the media covers white crimes differently, therefore 9-11 was an inside job. It makes no sense. And she makes no sense. I mean, she's a nut job. But it's kind of worrisome that she's an elected official in such a big, powerful city. And she just seems to be so stupid. And that just like kind of shocks me. You, you know what shocks me about all of it is what you just said, is that she is in a position where let me let me read the only sentence of her post that had nothing to do with conspiracy theory, but I think is the worst part of all of it. She said, quote, now we might have academic evidence to prove the theory as fact yeah. <laughs> after she shared some garbage Facebook clickbait, which is clearly not an academic article proving a conspiracy theory. So she clearly can't discern what information to trust or what not to trust. So I, if, if I lived in Charlotte, I'd be a little concerned. Well, that's a good that's point. That's all I'm saying. That's a good point is that, I mean, you're talking about somebody who's making decisions for your city and, you know, she reads this, an article online and goes, oh my gosh, this is an academic article and then runs with it. And yeah, I'd be worried about what prep she's doing you know, deciding on zoning laws. I mean, you can go online and find conspiracy theories for pretty much anything. And this is someone who's making decisions that could have a major impact on a very important city in this country, especially in North Carolina. And you're just, it, 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 it makes you worried a little bit. I mean, people talk about, you know, Trump's mental health and, and he's definitely said some things that, that legitimately uh, uh, should cause people some concern, but Where's the outrage? I mean, if you're going to get mad that Donald Trump would say something like Ted Cruz's uh, father killed JFK, then where's the anger about this woman? And the left just like ignores it. Like they, they have no problem calling Donald Trump out for his crazy conspiracy theories and rightfully so. But then when their own does something stupid, it's like you guys got to call that out uh, because otherwise it's going to it's going to fester and it's going to it's going to grow. And it's going to get more and more problematic. And I mean, if the Democrats want to go that route, that's fine. But it just worries me as a North Carolinian and as a sane person that somebody elected office is thinking these things. Yeah, I mean, I think it goes into I believe you brought this up many years ago, Tyler, and you talk about how politicians are now living for the first time ever in the history of humanity in a world where everything they do is either saved or broadcast. Yeah. And and, you know, before politicians would lie and cheat, I mean, nobody has a positive connotation of the term politician. It's up there with lawyer. But now everything you say or do comes back to bite you. I mean, that's that's what I, I think that really impacted Hillary's campaign. You know, you could just put out everything she said over the last 30 years because it's all in digital record now. You can't get get away from it. And now you post something on Facebook and within minutes it's going to be everywhere. And it's screenshot and it will never die. Well, I, and the, but the thing is, is she doesn't seem to be – what's crazy about this is it's not like she said this in 2003 and we just uncovered it. I mean she posted this last week. <laughs> I mean that's, that's what's so bizarre to me is that – I mean she doesn't seem to have any problem saying these things. In fact, she was on you know one of the, the, the talking head shows this weekend and said, yeah, what happened was is what I said was taken out of context. And so the guy was like, OK, so do you think that – 9-11 was, you know, an inside job and she deflected. 
So she didn't even explain. Like, if something is taken out of context, she'd say, "Here, listen, this is what I actually think." And and so like, it would be so easy for her to go, "No, I don't think 9/11 is an inside job. I think some radical fundamentalist Islamists hijacked some planes and killed 3,000 Americans for the purpose of you know promoting their cause." If she would have said that, it would have been like, okay, it was taken out of context. But she, she didn't say that. She she like deflected to, well, people people were injured and people did die and families were hurt and, and I don't want to take away from their suffering. But she wouldn't straight up say, no, I, I think that you know the, the United States government was not involved uh, and refused to say that. And so it wasn't taken out of context. I mean, I don't think she knows what – take it out of context means i think she i think she just thinks that that it's another way to say criticism i, I was gonna say there could be some some fundamental uh, issues with her understanding of the academic theories <laughs> involved in um conspiracy theories or the english language i mean at this point the door is kind of wide open that's true and she you know she did say in in another part of of her original post that she's still waiting for someone to produce pieces of the alleged plane that opened it so she wants pieces of the plane i guess She's saying the the plane was never recovered or so. I don't know what the assumption well, no, was. She's because there's a video online. I remember seeing it when I was in college and I was stupid and young. You and mean last being, week. Right. Yeah. And I remember going, Ooh, wow, this is ooh, my gosh. And I remember like telling my mom and she like almost like slapped me in the face for being like, you're so stupid. Um, because what they were alleging was it was a missile that was shot in the Pentagon. And so that's why she says alleged plane, because there are people that think that a missile was shot into the Pentagon. And that's what she thinks. And that's why she says alleged plane. If you don't say alleged, unless you don't think um, it actually happened, or, you know, you're a lawyer defending someone uh, or trying to go after someone or you're on the media and you don't want to, you know, you can't say because they weren't convicted yet. So you say alleged murderer, even though like the Waffle House guy, you have to call him the alleged shooter because he hasn't been convicted yet. Otherwise, you know, you're not, you're not, you're not saying it properly because he's not technically the shooter yet. Um, and so she, she, she's saying alleged plane because she doesn't think that a plane crashed into the Pentagon or the World Trade Center. It was a missile. And I mean, that's just that's just insane. 17 years, almost 17 years after the fact that someone still thinks that it was. And like I said, she got it from a, a, a stupid video because I remember watching it like in 2003. It was online. And you know, I was, what, 20 at the time. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And, you know, what's that? I was 20. I was stupid. Like, what's her excuse? Uh, and that's that's what's worrisome. Well, and she said that that the alleged plane opened the, the doors for U.S. citizens to loose all privacy rights, which, you know, we all make typos. So I'm not trying to make fun of her in incorrect usage of the word loose versus lose. But the documentary was loose change. So it could have been a Freudian slip. <laughs> That's a good point. I mean, she probably got it from there. I mean, there, there's still a very big gr- group of people that think that 9-11 was an inside job. And yeah, I even had a guy calling the show today and was asking questions uh, on my radio show about, well, that Tower 7 building. Like, And I'm just I'm, it, it just amazes me that people – because like I said, the problem that I have uh, – and this is for conservatives, liberals, you know, whatever – but conservatives think that gover- government is incompetent, that government's full of idiots. And we constantly point out all the times in which government fails to be able to accomplish something. You know, as, as I remember, uh, what was it? What was the movie? Live Free or Die Hard, where um, Justin Long's character jokes that it took three, three days for them to get water to the Superdome. 
Uh, and he points out that, yeah, I mean, government and its bureaucracy and all these, th- I mean, just it, they can't get anything done. Yet they were able to pull off the most amazing hoax in American history and do it without a single shred of evidence being available or a single whistleblower or anybody having anything that proves that that's the case. It's just, there's no way. Like, I mean, you're not, you're going to tell me that our veterans affairs department is so inept that people are dying waiting in line. And yet then you're going to tell me that they were able to pull off nine 11 and there's zero evidence of them doing it. It's just, it doesn't even, it's just, it's so illogical uh, that it's just stupid. And now liberals, now liberals, okay, fine. Because liberals think the government's all powerful and, and you know, are, are all amazing. But it also goes along with that whole deep state thing. Like I said, either government's incompetent or it's all powerful. But it can't be both. It can't be incompetent, all powerful. And so conservatives got to pick, pick a government. Either it's you know amazing or it's awful. But you can't have it both ways. And I'm going to go with incompetent. Oh, absolutely. I, I've said that for a long time. You you can't you can't have both. And and I don't and I've never understood how conservative and I don't even want to say conservative like conspiracy theorists how how they can think that because they are always anti government um, and and maybe that maybe that's the caveat is maybe it's not conservatives but it's anti government people who don't trust the government but do think they are powerful and competent but that would be a weird segment of the population too I don't know who those people are. <laughs> Yeah, but but, and let me ask you this question because I mean you can't bring up conspiracy theories without talking about them. So what do you do to mitigate the the difference between how no one ever gives us all the info? Like like no government agency comes out and gives you information. There's sometimes good reasons for it and sometimes bad reasons, right? I mean, there's always going to be a fundamental whether it's an emergency situation. Like the police officer doesn't get on television and say, "Here's exactly what happened." Like there are reasons for withholding stuff. But then at what point does that information or should that information become public, whether through being declassified or through just kind of here's a statement of all of the facts. Here's what happened. Do we have a right to know everything that happens in a situation? Um, you know, are there times where we are? I mean, I think we can all admit like there are times information's withheld for whatever reason, which does go to fuel a little bit when people go, well, what they said happened is not what I think happened. And sometimes that's because we were kind of misled so they could catch the culprit or they just didn't release all the information at the time or they were basing it off of what they knew at the time, which could be bad information. So do you think there's ever a time when there's like a a little bit of a sliver of maybe there's a little conspiracy here, but I don't think it's an organized conspiracy. I think it's more of a lack of information. Well, I don't, I, and the thing is, I wouldn't even say it's a conspiracy. I mean, I, I would say that, I mean, this is even true with 9-11. I mean, we didn't find out the real like logistics of what happened with tower seven last year, last summer is when like the official report came out from, I can't remember what the agency was. And so, yeah, I mean, the reason was, is that we had these, you know, we had, you know, nine 11 happen and it was just so unfathomable is that it automatically became like, Oh, then there something, it, it can't be just that. It can't be that simple. It can't be that 12, Guys from the Middle East came over here, were able to get passports. I mean, they, they all came over legally. They didn't sneak in the southern border. They all came over here legally. They got flying lessons. They did all of these things. They got on a plane. They hijacked the plane with box cutters. I mean, everyone just goes, there's no way. It had to have been something else. It can't be that easy to do that. And what we found out was, yeah, it was. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that no one ever thought that could happen. 
uh, the reason that no one attacked him with the box cutters. You know, obviously that ha- that did, that wasn't the case with uh, Flight ninety three, but people never thought like someone's going to fly a plane into a building. It was just, Oh, they're going to hijack it. We're going to have to go to some, you know, crazy country. We're going to be on tarmac for a while. Uh, but no, we're not going to rush these guys. And, and then that's why flight 93, they did rush them when they found out what was going on. And so it was kind of all of these components. It was just almost like everything perfectly happened the way that they planned it. And that's how they were able to pull this off. But that's, but it, it, it just seemed so, it seemed like we dropped the ball so much. There's no way our government's that incompetent that no one caught wind of this. No one knew about it. So therefore they had to have been in on it. You know, it's kind of like, um, what's the, uh, the movie casino with Robert De Niro where he plays uh, Ace Ronstein. And there's a scene where this idiot working for him, three machines, uh, down in the pit, he goes, works in a casino and three jackpots are hit within like two minutes of each other. And afterwards, uh, uh, De Niro's character, uh, uh, Ace, comes down and basically just chastises them and says, listen, three machines hit within two minutes of each other. You know, one machine hitting is astronomical. Two are almost impossible. Three, no way. And he basically tells the guy, listen, either – and he fires them. And he goes, I have to fire you because one – Either you're in on it or two, you're too dumb to not realize you were being conned. Either way, I can't keep you here. And he ends up firing them. And that's the way people look at government is they go, wow, how did you not catch this? Either you're too dumb or you're in on it. And a lot of us go, well, yeah, the government's dumb. That's what happened. They, you know, they, they, they dropped the ball. But others go the other route and go, oh, they were in on it. And that's where that comes from. But to go back to the withholding evidence, yeah, I mean, sometimes you have to withhold it for security reasons. Uh, but what's weird is how everyone automatically goes to sinister reason. I mean, it's the reason this whole deep state thing exists by, you know, on the right right now is because everyone's convinced themselves that there's like this cabal of government workers out to get Trump. And I'm sure there are, but I don't think they're anywhere near as powerful as they think that they are, because if they were, Trump would be in the office. I mean, it, it's, it's like this weird, bizarro world, once again, where we're constantly told that – you know, that the, the deep state is all powerful and they can do anything except for keep Donald Trump out of the White House. <laughs> but they can do everything else. They can get women to come forward and lie about having a family. They can do all these things and no evidence that they're behind it. But they can't – they couldn't keep Trump out of the White House. It, it, it makes no sense. Yeah. Um, it's the same thing with 9-11. Yeah, people want to believe what they want to believe. That's what it ultimately comes down to. They want to believe the news when it says what they want to hear and they want to say it's fake news when it's what they don't want to hear and – and so on and so forth. Um, you know, I was going to, I was going to actually see, I know we're running out of time. I wanted kind of a, a hot take. Um, what do you think is it was the, the Syria event, a conspiracy or not? No, I don't think it was a conspiracy. Okay. I was just interested because I'm going to pass you this article and, and I don't think conspiracy in the way that we were talking 9-11 by any means. Um, cause I think the geopolitical stuff gets really interesting. Um, but there was a, a dedicated, uh, Dedicated is not the word I was decorated. That was the word I was going for a decorated yeah. journalist um, from Britain who was over there interviewing people and, and talked about that. They, they, they weren't sure if it was a gas attack or not. So I know there's a lot of skepticism on, on what's been going on. So that's totally out of left field. Wait, just, are they saying that it wasn't a gas attack or that it wasn't done by Bashir Assad? 
Uh, well, it, it depends. Um, they're saying that they don't think it was gas because they said people were, were suffocating from a lack of oxygen because they're all living below ground. So they said mm-hmm. that air raids or, um, you know, some other form of, of bombing was actually causing the buildings to collapse. So, you know, one group of people basically got trapped and had asphyxiation issues that it wasn't sarin, um, which, you know, I think it was chlorine. I think it was chlorine. Wasn't that, wasn't that what supposedly was used? I mean, I I don't know enough about all these chemicals to know, but to me, the debate seemed to be, did, did Bashir al-Assad do it or did like someone else do it and then try and blame it on Bashir al-Assad? And the thing is, is that the one thing that, that everyone misses is that like right after that attack, a bunch of rebel controlled, uh, territories fell to Bashir al-Assad in the Syrian army. And some people have, I mean, and I, I think that, that makes sense that that's, everyone goes, why would he do this attack? He did it because he did it in an area that he ended up then winning over from the rebels uh, like a day or two later. That's why he did it. They're trying to pick up territory and, 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 and pretty much get all these rebels out of there. That's what they're trying to do. Um, but I actually do have a conspiracy theory. Uh, North Korea. Yes. I read a very fascinating piece in the National Interest that that questioned whether or not Kim Jong Un has a nuclear weapon, and they were arguing that they, that, you know, there, there's there's evidence and inconsistencies that could be them faking these tests and making them seem like they're nuclear when in reality they're just, you know, these they're using explosions and things of that means to make it look like they have a nuclear weapon. And that could be why Kim Jong-un is so quick to the negotiating table with Trump is that he doesn't have a nuclear weapon. And that if they continue to do tests, they're going to get found out. But so if they make it look like, hey, we're not doing anything and we're not going to do anything and they can maybe win some economic uh, concessions, um, that could be that could be a good tool. I think there's some. I, I think that makes sense to me, well, um, and that's yeah. kind of conspiratorial. So, well, if, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, th- I think that uh, it's sort of the uh, you're not going to fire me. I quit, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, also, it's very important too because North Korea. The only reason this could exist in North Korea, and the same thing you could be said about Syria. You know, we don't have anyone on the ground in Syria, um, at least not where these attacks took place. So we're sort of relying when the government says we cannot verify what they're saying is they can't but other uh ngos and other groups actually have verified some of the things we just haven't done it because we don't have people there north korea is the same thing north korea is notoriously secret i mean of all the countries in the world we have the least information on north korea so if there was any conspiracy to take place north korea could be someone that could pull it off because we have so little information over there that's why i kind of believe that 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 conspiracy that they don't have a nuclear weapon. This is all um, sort of a ruse to get Trump to, to sort of ease up the economic sanctions on them, only because we have such little information. They, they're the only country that could do that. You, you sound like Archer. It was a ruse. <laughs> Hello, 1950s. We were looking for our, 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 our what does he say, our, our planes and crappy words back or something like that. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to uh, I'm going to find that clip and put it in post. That's how we're going to end the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. All right, my friend. It was it was good talking to you, and uh, let's let's keep the streak alive, buddy. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. We'll be back next week. I'm setting the autopilot, but this better not be a ruse. <laughs> a ruse? Bring, bring. Hello. Hi. It's the 1930s. Can we have our words and clothes and <laughs> plan back? Let's go, kid. Call you back, 1930s. And hey, watch out for that Adolf Hitler. He's a bad egg. <laughs> <laughs>